This episode of Wanderlust Off The Page is brought to you by Siwi, Europe's largest photo company with over 50 years of experience in photo services and online printing. Siwi delivers millions of personalised photo products each year, including the award-winning Siwi Photo Book. The brand has over 9,000 five-star reviews and can help you to relive your travel memories. As well as the photo book, you can create wall art, jigsaws, calendars and much more with Siwi. To learn more and to receive an exclusive 25% discount on all Siwi products when you spend £30, visit siwi.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. That's c-e-w-e.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. T's and C's apply. Now, let's get on with the show. everyone and welcome to the third series of the Wanderlust Off The Page podcast, taking you further into the stories of each issue of the magazine. We will be talking to travel experts, including your favourite travel writers. I'm Lynn Hughes, founding editor of Wanderlust. And I'm Rosie Fitzgerald, special features editor at Wanderlust. We'll be uncovering lesser-known places from all across the world, from the sounds of vibrant Louisiana in the USA to undiscovered parts of the Amazon rainforest and so much more in between. Now, if you're new to Wanderlust, here's what you need to know. Wanderlust is the UK's leading independent travel magazine, which has been taking the road less travel since 1993. We've won numerous awards along the way and to this day, we continue to inspire our audience of curious travellers with each issue of our magazine, as well as our website. Both of these are bursting with off-the-beaten-track experiences as some of the world's most exciting destinations, both near and far. Responsible, conscious and sustainable travel is always at the very heart of everything that we cover. So do be sure to check us out by heading to wanderlustmagazine.com or become a Wanderlust Club member and join our community of serious travellers for just £35 a year. That's about 50 bucks. This will get you six beautiful collectible issues, exclusive member-only competitions and events, access to our entire online archive back to 2010, plus heaps of other benefits too. And of course, be sure to hit that subscribe button on the Wanderlust Off The Page podcast as well. Today's episode truly lives up to Wanderlust's mantra of taking you off the beaten path. And I just can't wait for you to hear this episode of a truly undiscovered part of the world. We hope you enjoy. For today's episode, we'll be journeying deep into Brazil's Amazon rainforest as we take you on a journey along the little known Rio Negro. We'll be venturing far off the beaten track as we take a look at the lungs of the earth through the eyes of the local people that know it best. And telling this story today in his own words is longtime Wanderlust contributor and award-winning travel writer Alex Robinson. If you've read Alex's article in a recent issue of Wanderlust, then you'll know just how captivating is his tale of his time in this untouched slice of Amazonia. In conversation with Alex today is travel writer and podcaster Aaron Miller. Together, they're going to be discussing how Alex found himself in the mysterious tabletop mountains of Brazil's Amazon, where even native Amazonians rarely venture. It's an extraordinary story filled with jungle treks, river trips, rare wildlife, and in true wanderlust style, takes us completely off the beaten track. So let's hand over to Alex and Aaron. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
The Amazon is more than a forest and a river. It is a vast wild of astonishing landscapes. There are places where two rivers flow together side by side for hundreds of kilometers without mixing. There are islands larger than Switzerland with beaches as beautiful as the Caribbean and flooded forests bigger than your entire country. There are lakes of lilies with leaves as large as the length a man can stride. There are mountains, you wouldn't believe, tabletop mountains that are covered in orchids and where giant waterfalls drop, pause in pools and fall again in wisps and fronds. They're like the world before humans walked the earth. Alex, so nice to have you again on the show. That is such a beautiful passage, so well written, and I'm just so intrigued after hearing it to hear more about your incredible journey down the Amazon. I love why you did this trip. Could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for your journey? Yeah, sure. Well, the inspiration is really this guy, Saru, who's a Munduruku indigenous person. So he's brought up in the Amazon. He's lived there all his life. And this is a guy who literally spent the first 14 years of his life walking barefoot, swimming in the rivers, hunting. And he only came to the city to try and find work. I met Saro some years ago now. And at that stage, he was in a lodge right next to Manaus City in Brazil. And I went out with him on a jungle walk. And we just got on really well together. And we kept in touch. And then he approached me and told me that he'd set up on his own. He said, look, you've just got to come and see the real stuff. Because most people who come to the Amazon don't see the real stuff, even if they think they have done. Let me show you the stuff that indigenous people know about. It's a different world. It's like the Garden of Eden. And what could I do? You know, I wasn't going to say no to that. <laughs> no, it's uh, quite an offer, isn't it? I, th I don't think many of us would, would say no to an offer like that. And a really special and unusual one because, you know, here's Saro who grew up in the Amazon, obviously a completely different life experience to you. But you meet and get on and become friends and stay in touch. I think that's just a wonderful story about human connection, kind of going beyond transcending cultural differences. Completely so. So, I mean, the first thing, when I met him, I said, can I do some pictures with you? Because I'm a photographer as well. And he said, sure. And because of that, I got to spend time with him without the rest of the group. So it's just the two of us for a few hours. And we just gelled. You know how it is when you meet someone and you just get on. There's something about the energy of the person. It's in their eyes as much as in their words. But anyway, we got talking. And I told him that my mother was ill. She'd actually got cancer. Thankfully, now she's fine. But he said, oh, let me give you something. And he gave me this, this stuff that he uses. It's an oil made with lots and lots of plants and seeds from the forest. I took it back and I gave some to my mom and had some. I still have it myself. And I don't know if that's what helped her. She got better. They managed to get to the stage where the cancer was in remission and they could remove it. And there were lots of other things. I'm not saying he cured my mother of cancer. I'm not saying that at all. But that connection, talking about my mother, sharing forest together, doing pictures and just getting on, having that feel that you get with people when you know that there's a bond there, well, that was really special and we kept in touch. 
And so I was the person he reached out to. And it's a wonderful story too about human connection because, you know, the Amazon is a world wonder. I think it's on everyone's bucket list to see it and explore it. But to see that forest through the eyes of an indigenous person who grew up, you know, for 14 years, just living that life, just so connected to the forest, that must have just been an incredible experience. It was an incredible experience. I mean, he spent the first 14 years of his life there, and now he's in his 50s. He's lived there all his life. Very few people in the world know the Amazon better than he does. People think of the Amazon as this jungle with a big river, and it's not. The Amazon is about half the size of the United States. Now, if you think half of the United States was covered with forest, That doesn't get away from the fact that there's a huge variety of landscapes in that forested landscape. Just think of the Grand Canyon with forest around it. Think of the Colorado River. Think of those volcanoes up in Washington State. It's a huge, barely explored landscape, which is forested, which is tropical. There are tabletop mountains there and savannas there as well and huge lakes and rivers of every color you can imagine, including rivers as clear as as the air is in the high mountains. So you're going into another world. You're not just going into the jungle. Yeah, that must have been such a, a lovely email to get. And to know that he'd gone and set up this really unique indigenous travel company. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Saro's company is called Araka Expedition. So that's after the mountain. He does a lot of trips, but the heart of, the, of all the trips he does is Araka. That's the big, spectacular, amazing trip, and the one that he really loves and the one that's really special. So he named his company after that, Araka Expeditions. And it was always his dream since I met him to have his own venture. He says, you know, all the lodges and stuff around Manaus, all the companies all throughout the Amazon, they're run by people who are not indigenous. So that means that, you know, okay, indigenous people might work there. Indigenous people might even be partners in some of the ventures done with the NGOs. But there's nothing where the indigenous people are saying, okay, this is our home, come and have a look. And he always wanted to do that. And that's what he does. So I was really, really excited when I got that email. I thought, wow, this is fantastic. He's achieved his dream. To be honest, it wasn't a surprise. He's always seemed like a very capable guy to me. And also just like arriving in the Amazon to meet Saro again. That must have been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it was great. There he was. He looked like he hadn't aged a day. And it had been about a decade. He was still like really, you know, kind of this fit looking guy. You know, you can imagine him walking up a mountain without breaking a sweat. So he was fit. He still had the same big, broad, infectious smile and kind of, you know, light in his eyes. And it was great as if I'd only seen him yesterday. And we drove straight out to his home, which is about two hours out of Manaus in a place called Novo Airão, and had dinner with his family. And then the rest of the people came out the next day, and then we were away. He goes straight out of his house, five minutes down to the water. The boat was there. And within half an hour, you are in, well, wilderness, which is greater wilderness than there is in Europe already, you know, mm. that close. So it was amazing. And what was the boat like? The boat that we went up the Amazon is a big old classic Amazon river boat. 
So if the Mississippi has its paddle steamers, the Amazon has these old wooden double-decker boats with these beautiful mahogany-lined cabins and these public areas where you can go and read a book, lays in your hammock, and you can just fish off the back deck as well. Fabulous. Really, really comfortable and really relaxing. Watch the river and the landscape pass by. Just, it couldn't have been more relaxing. It was heaven. Wonderful. It sounds idyllic. Did you catch some fish for your dinner then? I tried catching fish. The only fish that I could catch were piranha. I mean, basically, you just drop a piece of meat on the end of a hook into the water and you'll catch a piranha. Some of the other guys, they caught peacock bass, a much more spectacular fish. And we ate those. So you weren't going for a swim then after catching all that piranha? You weren't uh, lining up to jump in the water? There's no problem swimming in the Rio Negro. Oh, really? No problem at all. Yes, absolutely, we swam. The idea that piranha are going to go and attack you as soon as you get in the water is a myth. I've swum with piranha. I swam with piranha on this trip and with caiman. Those are big crocodiles. No, it's not unsafe. There are lots and lots of fish in the Rio Negro. You're not in any danger of getting eaten alive. Well, you're a braver man than me, myth or not. But my, um, my, You say I'm a braver man, man than you. When my son was seven years old, he swam in the Amazon. Well, oh, now that's putting me to shame now. So yeah, maybe when I finally do get out there, I'll, I'll just have to jump in. Because there's some other incredible wildlife in the river, of course, that you, that you spotted along the way, including river dolphins, which is something I've always, always wanted to see. Coming out of the docks in Novo Airão, where the boats left, there were pink river dolphins playing right in front of the prow of the bloke. Oh, wow. And then you see the grey Tukushi dolphins all the way up. Yes, there's wildlife everywhere. And so take me through. So you've started off your journey. You've headed into, I love how you describe this, this vast wild of astonishing landscapes. Where are you headed on this journey? What was the first few days like? The journey with Arakar Expedition starts in this tiny little village, about two and a half hours drive north of Manaus in Brazil. It's the end of the road. From there, there are no more roads for the distance between New York and, I don't know, Miami. No, a vast distance of wild. It must feel different too. I'm sorry, Alex. I was just going to jump in and say it must feel different too. Like we're never surrounded by that size of wilderness. You know, in in Europe and in the States, we're kind of used to dipping our toes in a little bit. But does it feel different to know that you're in a wilderness that just stretches on for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles? There is nothing like the feeling that you get in the Amazon. I've traveled in 60 plus countries I've been to wildernesses all through Asia and North America. I've never been anywhere like the Amazon. That astonishing immensity of nature that you're surrounded by, the feeling that you get from that, the energy, the purity of the air. And I've driven around the whole of Australia. I've been right into the middle of the outback. I've been all the way through those beautiful mountains in New Zealand. I've been to the Grand Canyon. I've been to the furthest reaches of Indonesia, all the way through Southeast Asia, into the Himalayas. I've never been anywhere like the Amazon because the immensity of living, thriving, fertile nature that you get there is like nowhere else. The rivers are not like rivers. It's like a flowing sea. You cannot see to the other side of the Rio Negro. And the Rio Negro is a tributary of the Amazon. 
It's wonderfully described. I mean, gosh, I wanted to go there already, but now I think that that's gone right to the top of the list. So your first few days on the river, you have this beautiful experience lazing in the hammocks. I think you you talk about being in your pajamas drinking caipirinis, which is <laughs> which sounds like a lot of fun as you're drifting through this vast wilderness. What were some of the highlights at the, of that start of the journey? The beginning of the cruise is as relaxing as it gets. You're just lying in a hammock with this astonishing beauty going past you very slowly as you head up the river. The thunderclouds overhead mounting, bursting with rain, sometimes in the distance, sometimes right above you, speckling the surface of this black river as far as you can see, passing by, rainbows everywhere, the yellow sun sinking over the forest, scarlet macaws flying out, bubblegum pink river dolphins surfacing in front of you. There's always something to see. And you're sitting and seeing it in utter comfort. It's not hot because you're in the middle of a big river. It's very pleasantly warm, like being on the beach in late summer in the Mediterranean. It's that kind of temperature. And then when you get to Araka, then it gets much more hardcore when you're going up the mountain. So the trip's a combination of really, really relaxing and a proper hike. But all the way through, even when you're relaxing, you're in wilderness, which is as pristine and wild as anything anywhere on Earth outside of Antarctica. So it's like going through the very heart of Alaska. It's that level of wilderness, hundreds and hundreds of miles from the nearest road. The biggest towns and villages are 100, 200 people. And yet you're in comfort, as I say, in pajamas, sipping caipirinhas. <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah, it's wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, I think you think of the Amazon as this kind of humid, very humid, hot place, yeah. difficult to travel. But it just, I mean, the Mediterranean at the end of summer, that's like my perfect, perfect place and time of year for weather conditions. But before we get to the mountain, I know that was one of the focuses of this trip. And I'm so excited to to hear about that. But you had some incredible experiences along the way. I'm interested to hear about about Jiao National Park and the, and the flooded forest. It, it sounds absolutely magical. Now, one of the best things about travel is that so often the memories you create last for a lifetime, don't they? And one of the best things about our sponsors, Siwi, is that they can help us to relive those special travel memories and keep them all in one place in a lovely photo book that you can look back on time and time again. Have you got any special travel memories, Lynn, that you like to return to? Oh, absolutely. I'm sitting here surrounded by photo albums showing all my travels from over the years, including a road trip through New Zealand from north to south, face-to-face encounters with gorillas in Central Africa. It really brings it all back to me. And particularly when you look back, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. And so actually, one of my resolutions for next year is I'm going to make photo books of some of the most memorable trips I've been on because it really does help you relive those experiences and memories, doesn't it? Yeah, it really, really does. And a good thing about Siwi Lin, with a busy schedule like yours, it's really easy to use. You can put all those photos in really easily and and make it look exactly how you want to. So, yeah, definitely a great way to preserve those travel memories there. And, of course, a photo book makes a great present for a loved one as well. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. If you've got someone in your life that loves travel 
You can get them calendars, you can get them photo books, all kinds of different creative gifts with Seaweed. So whichever travel memories you would like to savour, whether it's a recent trip or your first ever adventure, a Seaweed photo book makes for the perfect keepsake. Be sure to head over to their website and make the most of their exclusive offer and save 25% on all Seaweed products when you spend £30. So for all the details and the T's and C's, go to seaweed.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. That's C-E-W-E forward slash wanderlust. Right, now let's get back to the show. Most people go to the Amazon region when the rivers are at low water. That's not the best time to go. The best time to go is when the rivers are high because then you can kayak or take a little boat right through the forest. It's like the Everglades or the bayous of Louisiana. You're going in these boats all the way into the depths of the forest. And that's when you see things like the giant river otters that we saw, which were just amazing. The best time to go to the Amazon is not in the dry season when everybody goes. The best time to go is in the wet season when the waters are at the highest. Then you can kayak through the flooded forest or take a little boat and you come across things like the giant otters that we encountered on the edge of Zhao National Park, which are amazing. You know, they're so curious and friendly and enchanting and so astonishingly rare. I mean, these are animals that have been hunted to the absolute brink of extinction. You're just coming across them in the wild. It's crazy. It's like seeing a tiger in Siberia or something. And the beauty of the flooded forest with all the strange calls of the birds and the insects and the stillness and silence when they're not calling, so silent you can hear a water drop into the, in, in, into the rivers. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. And every, you know, the landscape changing all the time, little lakes filled with giant lilies, small streams, larger rivers. It's like a whole causeway of, of, of water landscapes that you're going through. Well, I'm very jealous of your giant otter spotting, not just because it's rare, but otters are like one of my favorite animals. So what does a giant otter look like? How, how big are they for someone that does, hasn't seen them? What does a giant otter look like? Imagine an otter as big as a man. Oh my gosh, now, really? They're slim and sleek, but these are big animals. They're not like your little otters that you see in rivers in Scotland. Now, these are as long as a man. They can get up to seven foot long, tip to tail. And you just, you hear them before you see them. They poke their heads out of the water and utter this kind of call and then swim up, take a good look at you and then disappear back into the trees. It's astonishing. Seeing them is astonishing. And you mentioned passing some little villages along the way. Did you stay in the boat the whole time or were you able to get out and and visit some people that live along these rivers? You stay in the boat much of the time, but you also get out and visit some of the people. In fact, Saro has friends in some of the villages that he picks up on the way to take up the mountain with us. And so we stopped in one of the villages, one of the indigenous villages, and it's there that we met one of Saro's friends, José. We met his family, went into his house, everyone was really friendly. And then he came with us. He took us up the mountain, you know, it's in his backyard, basically. So he became one of the people that works with us. And this is really magical because Saro lets things happen. They're always surprises. And that's part of the magic of the whole experience. The way Saro does things is very gentle. He allows you to fall under the spell of the forest and under the spell of the people by gradually introducing things 
which perhaps you don't know are going to happen. And it's always in the gentlest, the most enchanting way. Stopping at this village was, was such a magical experience. All the kids coming out and saying hello and then going and seeing how people lived and then the guy being so friendly and then he comes with us. And this, of course, has all been planned carefully beforehand, but the way it happens, it feels so natural and so organic. It's, it's really special. And that's part of the perspective that you get on a trip like this that you wouldn't get elsewhere, right? It's, uh, you know, traveling with a, an indigenous guide is, is the opportunity to have these kind of encounters and see the forest through new eyes and, and understand it in, in some small way through their perspective too. Very much so. Sarah wants people to have an indigenous experience of the forest. He wants things to feel spontaneous. He wants people to be surprised. So you have this combination of things being very gentle and very tranquil, but endlessly full of surprises from all the changes in the landscapes to the little villages that you stop off in to go in the, into the forest to pick camu camu berries. It's all very carefully thought out, but also very indigenous and spontaneous. It's wonderful. I've never been on a trip like it. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And the end point, the kind of goal of this to reach Araka, this this mountain is coming up and it's uh, reading it and looking at your amazing pictures in the article, it, it sounds like it's a real highlight. But before we start talking about that, let's hear a little passage from you about Araka. The evening was velvet dark. The air was sweet with the scent of night flowers and filled with an orchestra of cicadas and tree frogs. Far off in the forest, I heard the whippoorwill trill of a night jar. Somewhere out there, close by, a jaguar was padding through the trees. She knew we were there. We'd seen her footprints in the mud on the trail next to the river as we'd walked up. We'd smelt her acrid feline musk in the air. But jaguars steer clear of people, even on the flanks of Brazil's Araca, the wildest remotest mountain in the tropics. So I never saw the jaguar. Perhaps it was the trance lullaby of cicadas and tree frogs, or the tinkle of water dripping off Araka, but I eventually fell peacefully asleep. I love this idea of Araka, the wildest, most remote mountain in the tropics. That's just so enticing to go and see and climb. But it, it was something that Sorrow mentioned to you in that first trip too. Sarah kind of introduced this idea of this really remote kind of magical mountain to you. What was it like to to kind of finally arrive there after all those years? When I met Sarah, he was working in a jungle lodge. And most people's experience of the Amazon is going to a jungle lodge for a couple of nights or getting on a boat for a few nights and doing a little circuit from a central point. And Sarah was saying to me, no, that's not what the Amazon's about at all. In fact, that's crazy. It's like going to the United States and, you know, wandering around outside the airport. Forget it. The Amazon is about these astonishing, beautiful, magical landscapes where wildlife live and where indigenous people have lived for tens of thousands of years. I am going to make a company. That's my dream, he said, that takes people to this Amazon, to the real place, the place that we, indigenous people, know and love. 
So when I got to Araka, which is a giant cliff in the middle of the forest at the end of a trail of rivers and saw the waterfalls dripping off its side, it was the realization that everything he had said was true. I knew it was true anyway, just from going up there on the voyage. But seeing that mountain, when we think about the Amazon, we don't think of giant cliffs with waterfalls falling off them and savannas on top and orchids everywhere. It's like the Garden of Eden. I thought of green, dense foliage with snakes everywhere and, and you know, sweat and leeches. I have never seen a leech in the Amazon. There are no mosquitoes at all on the River Negro. And it's more like the Garden of Eden than a green hell. And this was the confirmation of that, the realization of it. So it was utterly beautiful, and not just for me, for all of us. In fact, the other tourists on the boat, it's like their jaws had dropped, and they only closed the game when we got back from the trip. And Araka was the pinnacle of this. It's like, okay, wow, this place exists? How come nobody knows this place exists? It's crazy. What was it like stepping off the boat, looking up at these cliffs and these giant waterfalls and thinking about climbing to the top? Araka is the culmination of this trip. We were going to do it. There's no way we were going to do this trip without getting up that mountain. So how does it begin? You get in a launch. You leave the big boat, you get in a launch, and you go up this little Igarape, as they're called, which is a small river, you know, about, I don't know, 50 foot across. The color of tea without milk in it. Really beautiful, white sand beaches fringing it all the way. And you're going up river in the little launch, probably for four or five hours. And then you get off, and you get off the boat on a beach, and there's a little trail which has been cut through the trees by the indigenous people. And then you just head off right up into the forest. And then it feels quite hot and quite humid. Flowers everywhere, these wonderful smells of the forest everywhere, the cleanest air maybe in the world outside the poles. And you're trekking, following the river as it becomes a tiny stream and just going up towards the flanks of the mountain. Now, when you're on the trail, you can't see the mountain. You see it from the river. I remember the first sight of it. It was extraordinary as we go up the, the river in the launch and these sheer cliffs in front of us. I thought, how are we going to get up that? It's just no way we can get up that. But the path, it, take, it winds round the flanks, cutting up over the rocky terrain. You make camp overnight in one spot. And then you're walking up through a steep fissure in the cliff face. And it's pretty extraordinary. There's waterfalls everywhere. But you're walking up through this fissure. There are some bits where you have to scramble. It's a bit, you know, it's about as difficult as going up a Welsh mountain, one of the slightly more difficult ones. It's not more difficult than that. There's not a climb. There are bits when you have to pull yourself up a bit on a rope. But it's not like there are sheer drops behind you or anything. So it's not frightening from the point of view of vertigo. But it's warm, humid when you're on a walk, and tiring. But the sense of achievement you get when you get to the top of this mountain, you're standing on top of this cliff, and all you can see in every direction, as far as your eyes will take you, is green forest with rain clouds over 
in the distance and rain falling on patches of the forest and winding rivers and below you eagles and macaws flying and floating on the thermals. It's pretty amazing. And then you start on the trail on the mountain top and there are orchids everywhere and carnivorous plants and you feel like you're walking in a place that human beings have barely ever been. And you are, because maybe 10 people go there every year. You know, Alex, the way you describe things, you're a beautiful writer, you're a wonderful photographer, and everyone should go to wanderlust.co.uk and, and check out your article or buy the magazine. But oh my God, do you describe things well? Like I have this incredible perception of seeing the world, seeing the Amazon through your eyes. And, you know, thank you so much for, for painting that picture. But what was it like standing on that mountain, looking out across this, this Garden of Eden, as you describe it, but knowing... On the other hand, everything that's happening to the Amazon today, all the destruction that's happening. One of the other reasons Sarah wants to bring people to Araka now is because the Amazon is under threat. Of course it's under threat. And it's never been more under threat in Brazil. That's why it's so important that people go there. When you're on top of that mountain... And you look out over all of that forest and this immensity of wild. It's so uplifting. It's absolutely unbelievable. You feel like you've been taken back to the beginning of the world. And one of the key reasons Sarah wants people to go there now is so they realize what is to be lost if the Amazon is destroyed. This astonishing, beautiful Garden of Eden landscape is under threat. And it's people like him who are taking people into the Amazon on Arakar expeditions that are going to help to ensure that it is preserved. Because although much of the route up to Arakar Mountain is in protected areas, those protected areas are not looked at by the Brazilian authorities if people don't think that they are of economic worth. So ecotourism can really help these landscapes, just as they have saved so many of those wonderful landscapes in Costa Rica. And Costa Rica is like a postage stamp compared to this area. It's tiny. Yeah. And that personal connection is so important too, right? Like we all know the Amazon's under threat and it's, you know, one of the biggest crises of our time, but it seems distant, right? You know, like you say, most people just see it as a forest and a river. They don't understand the, the depth and complexity of it. But I think that the, one of the powerful pieces of a trip like this is, is that connection, that unique connection you get through seeing it no longer through your eyes as some distant place, but seeing it through Sauro's eyes as home, as something that he cares about and loves and where he comes from. And, and perhaps maybe a bit of that rubs off on you too. That's exactly right. This is Sarah's home. It's Jose's home. It's the home for all of these people. And they're sharing their home with the people who go to Araka with them. And it is quite deliberate on Sarah's part that people should feel they're welcome in his home. Because he wants people to feel it's their home too. That way, there's more of a chance of it being saved and protected. The more people that love it, the more people that value it, the more that the world will know about it, and the more it will be protected. 
Well, I think that's probably a wonderful place to end it, Alex. I could keep talking about this with you for hours. You you paint such a wonderful picture and depth to your journey. If people want to read the article, and I highly recommend it, I do. Your your photography on the, in it, by the way, is is incredible, as is your writing. Just go to wanderlust.co.uk. The article is called The Promise of the Amazon. Well, I think everyone that's listening is is now going to want to go and see this for themselves and particularly do it this way with Erica Expeditions. How can people connect with Saro to, to book the trip of their own? The only way to do this trip, the only way to go up the upper Rio Negro into Araca Mountains is with Araca Expeditions. And they're aracarexpeditions.com. And Araca is A-R-A-C-A. So it's pretty easy to remember, aracarexpeditions.com, there's only one of them. And it's the only trip there. Nobody else does it. And what about you, Alex? Where can people connect with you? Well, you can find me on Instagram, Alex Robinson Photography. And you can do a Google search under Alex Robinson Travel Writer, and you'll see lots of my travel writing and photographic publications, which are pretty widespread. Yeah, definitely do that. Your Instagram is amazing. It's an incredible page. And I, I urge everyone to, to go out there and, and have a look and, and travel around the world with you too. You do some incredible trips. I love how your trips always have a purpose and a deeper thread that weaves through them. And that is what the best travel writing is about. And that's what Wanderlust is all about too. So thank you, Alex. Thank you. Hope to see you again on the show. Likewise. Thanks very much. Well, that just about wraps up our time here today. Thank you all so much for listening. Please remember to hit that follow button and subscribe wherever you get your shows. Make sure you come back for more. We've got plenty more incredible travel stories coming up and we just can't wait to share them with you. Yeah, thanks again. We'll see you next time. This episode of Wanderlust Off The Page is brought to you by Siwi, Europe's largest photo company with over 50 years of experience in photo services and online printing. Siwi delivers millions of personalised photo products each year, including the award-winning Siwi Photo Book. The brand has over 900 five-star reviews and can help you to relive your travel memories. As well as a photo book, you can create wall art, jigsaws, calendars and so much more with Siwi. So to learn more and to receive an exclusive 25% discount on all Siwi products when you spend £30, visit siwi.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. That's c-e-w-e.co.uk forward slash wanderlust. T's and C's apply. Wanderlust Off The Page was presented by Lynn Hughes and Rosie Fitzgerald. The interviewer was Aaron Miller and the show was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry.